Welcome to the AAA NFT podcast, all about affordable NFTs, bringing you from zero to 60 in the non-fungible token world without breaking the bank, with your hosts, Andrew, aka Rantum, and George, from Mostly Stable on Zed Run, who will help you navigate new projects, interview expert guests, and explore NFT trends. So whether you're on your first or 50th NFT, we're going to have something for you. And as a quick note, we are not, I repeat, not financial advisors, and nothing in this podcast should be taken as investment advice. Alrighty, disclaimer over, let's get to it. Today on All About Affordable NFTs, we're talking about the theme of NFTs are not anonymous. Anon. Why does the public seem to think that crypto and NFTs are? Well, we'll get into that topic, but first, Andrew, what are we highlighting in the news this week oh, yeah so <laughs> yeah today yeah last week we talked a little bit about somehow uh, about how politics and crypto seem to be coming together more and got news that this week a there are two crypto friendly presidential candidates south korea and i guess the more conservative candidate won out but this is in stark contrast to the current president there that has really tried to crack down on the crypto industry in korea so i think this is i i, I think this is a uh, kind of I don't know, it's a big moment that crypto will become a much bigger issue for politicians going forward. We're already seeing sort of being certainly not not shunned by the U.S. government. I think we're going to have this become a, a bigger issue for elections moving forward here in the U.S., just as it was in this election in Korea. So I think that's it's it's just interesting to watch that. And I don't know. Did you had you seen this at all, George? I didn't see this one in particular, but I have been seeing Andrew Yang make a lot of rounds in the U.S. scene for his Web3.io lobby group. And also, you better believe the amount of politicians that are going to wake up to the fact that, wait a minute, if I have a pro-crypto stance and a public-facing wallet, I will get money. It won't take too long for people to catch on to that. So I think the long-term ability for crypto to make its way positively into government and legislation is is pretty bullish. Yeah, absolutely. So next news item I've got here, I just saw this as we were um, getting ready to record here, was that some of the big uh, partners from A16Z, one of the uh, big VC funds, including Chris Dixon and Mark Andreessen, are are, uh, backing a $30 million fund to invest in uh, NFT art exclusively. So this is uh, these are art pieces. There's not a lot of detail on what type of art that will include yet, but uh, that is a sizable amount, 30 million to go into NFT art. As far as I do look at that market a lot, and that is, that's a lot of art at this point. There aren't a lot of pieces that go for uh, the, even the six figure range in the art um, area. You see some big sales on super rare, but that is, we'll see where that, where they actually deploy that. I think that is, it says a lot for the future of the crypto art market, I think. Just focus on NFT art, mind you, not like NFTs, art. I think that small extra three letters is so important because you're beginning to realize that as an even an investment commodity or strategy here, it is being segmented based on the type of NFT and the utility that we keep coming back to, making it more of a larger platform, a concept like the internet. And no one's like, oh, you like that internet? I've heard only people that are weird are on the internet. Okay, it's 1997. But we're starting to see that type of nuance. So I was excited to see that. Also, the other thought in my head for this is that I have it frequently also for certain DAOs that 
collect a bunch of money to go buy super expensive stuff. And I heard this mentioned on uh, my first million podcast, but you should take a pause. Imagine if someone came to you with the investment opportunity to run around America and go buy the most expensive real estate you could possibly find that just happened to be pumping right now. You would maybe question that investment thesis. Why would you run around buying the absolute most expensive homes? And yeah, like you would question that, but you don't would necessarily question it argue that the art market, the NFT art market has, is not exactly pumping right now and has been largely overlooked in most of this activity that is focused so much on 10,000 character or collections. So I, I think that, that there is a difference there. I think that we'll see what they, where they go with it. I imagine that my guess would be that there's going to be investment in some historical pieces because there, as we've talked about, there were a whole lot of NFTs created in 2021. A lot more than we were created ever before that. And I think that those are the ones that are often talked about in crypto OG circles as that's the proof that you understood what was going on. So I think that those may be where they, that would be my guess if they look to older pieces first that have more value as we, or has more, I'm sorry, less, less supply than some of these later collections that, you know, as we know, there's a lot out there right now and it's not hard to come by them, but to find the older pieces that you actually can see on the blockchain as being minted at a certain time, it's a little bit harder or a lot harder, I would say. So you read that as like an intelligent approach to finding value in the market. I read it as, let us, let us go off buy a whole bunch of apes and we'll see what they do. They, they, we'll see. they tend to obviously drawn this point out, but I'm curious. So if, if you were handed that sort of that basket of money and an investment thesis, you would take it and say like, all right, let's start with this list of artists that have been overlooked and look at a five-year horizon or 10-year horizon of saying like, these people are just going to eventually be recognized as it. Or even if they're not recognized, they simply have a place in glitch art or this style that came to pass between these years of X and X. Look, I, I certainly don't know what they're, what they are going to do, but yeah, if I were given that, I would certainly look to invest in older pieces of NFT art and crypto art to people that were doing it before it was necessarily what we know it as now, because well, one, like I said, the, the supply is so much lower and there is, I think that there will be uh, a lot more credibility given to this as to those people that were doing it before when getting a $70 sale really meant something. And now it costs $70 just to to process the transaction. Maybe you're lucky right now that it's a little bit lower, but it's, a, it's, it's really come a long way. So I, I think that there's going to be some importance given to that, to the people that were doing it at that point, And that there's going to be more of a recognition that this is bigger, a bigger change than, than they were giving it credit for. There's an adoption of this new technology and there's some proof that you maybe had, that you were working on it at a certain time. And it started to change things, it started to lead to what we are in right now. And we may say that it's a cold market, but at the same time, as we said, it's 10 times the number of people that were doing this a year ago. Yeah. If you look at the history of sort of technology memorabilia, right? The first Apple iPod, like that has a value. The first NES system and cartridge, that has a value now. These are things you can no longer get, these sort of mint condition box items. And in that sense, like this is that, however, it doesn't degrade over time. I would, um, would it be possible to create one of your Dune analytics boards, like around like a handful of those artists tracking them back? Or is it like kind of tough to, uh, it sounds super rare, right? 
Yeah, I, I, it's one I thought about. I would like to to get into that a little bit um, more than just looking at super rare because it's easy to look at super rare, but I'd like to look at things across multiple you know, mul- multiple platforms. They aren't always the easiest to identify, so it may may include actually looking at the specific token IDs, but and then grouping them together. But I think it would be uh, nice to be able to get an idea of you know what is actually out there, even in the some of these older NFTs, because it's really it, it it's I'd like to get a better idea of how many mints there were in 2018, 2019, or in 2017. We know that punks were happening then, and there's a little bit of debate about some which some what some of the first collections were in different areas. But it, it's still nothing compared to now when we've got dozens of, of projects launching every week and thousands of NFTs being minted. I don't know. We'll we'll see what they do with this. I am I've thought about this a lot before this, that I think that some of those early pieces will hold historic value. We've seen this in different art movements as well. When there is a big shift, some of the people, the innovators that were doing it early, a couple of them will often rise to the top and be the people that everyone looks to as some of the influential leaders that that started the movement before it was popular. So we'll see if it happens here. It it has played out like that in in other art movements and uh, technology movements before, and this is bringing them together. Do you think there's anything affordable there or is it all like aggressively priced? And then you're like saying like, all right, I'm going to drop 10,000 in the hope that it becomes a million dollars. Sorry to use dirty fiat. Yeah, that's a good question. I think you have to think about it somewhat in fiat because we've always... I mean, we've talked about, I think these are a longer term play for the most part than some of these collections. It's relatively unusual that in the traditional art market that you would buy it, buy and sell a piece within the same year. Uh, you know, I'd say it's very unusual, especially because of the capital gains that come with it in the, the U.S. anyway, or, or the capital gains that don't come with it. I'm sorry, until one year, paying just regular taxes, but. Anyway, they move a lot faster in this market than the old markets, but it's still a lot slower than, a, than an NFT collection where you can literally just list it the same day and, and maybe sell it. I don't, I think there is maybe some value there. It's, I haven't looked closely at the market recently. I am curious to, to maybe find what wallets some of these uh, buyers may be using and, and start looking at those a little bit more closely as they maybe start to deploy this. Yeah, it's good. That's a good play. If we find any funny, Good uh, affordable projects. We'll we'll bring it to you all here. One more story we have here is the Ukrainian boxer Vladimir Klitschko released an NFT collection to support the relief efforts in Ukraine. So this is an NFT that can be tracked as best as possible to support that will go toward the the crisis unfolding. And so there have been other NFT projects. Certainly there was like a promise of an NFT dropped by the Ukrainian government, I think. And then they were a little busy with the bullets uh, and the Russians. And they're like, uh, actually, no. But I'm, I'd am i be willing to bet in a horse that uh, that they will come out with something. Hopefully they come out with it on a, a gasless layer or something or good old polygon to, to, to further people's ability to support the efforts there. And, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, there's been over 80 million uh, funded to Ukraine, uh, these tracks so far through crypto efforts. Uh, we'll, uh, this is a cool collection and I, I hope we do see more uh, something official from the government. I think that would help them help them a lot uh, in terms of fundraising and it would be a, a popular collection for a number of reasons. And watch this smooth transition. Speaking of Russia and Vladimir Putin, the true chicken of the region, chicken derby. Why not raise some chickens? Pretty smooth transition, right?
There we go. Yeah. Chicken Derby. Let's get onto it. What do you have for us here, George? Chicken Derby is basically chickens meet Zedron. It is a racing game. They have been in a sort of phased roadmap launch that finally, because I've been watching it for a little bit because it, it's been talked about, chirped about, if you will. Zedron discords. They are these animated looking chickens that you submit and race. You pay to drop them into a race. Right now they're about to, it seems like, move out of beta for race racing actually um there'll be a free tier and a pay tier to race and it is a play to earn type of strategy here also a earn way play as well because there's like a, a way to pay into a race it's like the gambling element as well as the the earning element they are ridiculous looking they have skills there are currently thirty three thousand and roughly six thousand owners the floor price is at 0. 0.032 so very accessible and all I can really do is say, like, they're mimicking off of Zedron in many ways, and we'll hopefully learn about the mechanics that actually work. And people are, in fact, playing this game. So I will say that Genesis horses in Zedron are incredibly valuable at this point. But the chickens in here, there are four different breed types. I love them talking about breed type. There. They call them heritage. Dorking, Lackenvelder, Sultan, and Sarama. And when you jump and find that link, you'll be able to see the, the varying amounts. Sarama is the best. Dorking is the worst. My, my recommendation would be like play around, look at rarity score. But actually, the talent uh, is uh, what seems to derive the most uh, value of the potential racing capability. The racing capability will be found out by the chicken based on the distance it runs. There's short, mid, long distances uh, that will run, run. But basically, more rare talents are... And the chicken is racing. It has a special ability to do something ridiculous, like freeze its enemies or make them march in a circle or blow them up or toss them into a black hole or take a helicopter from last to first. So there's all of these special abilities that are just randomly done and some are far more powerful. And basically, you'll be able to tell that from the talent dropdown. So that's where I would potentially start. If I were getting into it, full disclosure, I'm stable, not a hen house, so I don't intend to buy one, but I might change my mind. But it's something interesting to look at, and it's at a, at a time when the game is just finding its feet. So it has proven that they can develop a game. I get nervous too much getting in that, that period of time where there's no game and you're buying assets, but they, they've shown they can do a thing here. Andrew, what, what insights do you see here? So I'm looking at the website here, which is somewhat curiously at bitlovin.com. Apparently that is the developer behind this. I was trying to find more about the developer. It says that they, it's the, the team of Final Boss Games. They're well known for the game Ganja Farmer. No link on that. Oh, it Ganja Farmer. Had over 7 million downloads. It's not super active at this point, but it does have good reviews still when you do uh, search for it. A um, little disappointed there's not a little bit more about the team. Looking at the uh, website here, there's 33,000 of the 33,333 of oh, the chickens notice yeah i don't know it sounds interesting i don't it sounds somewhat like it's just a copycat of zed and i'm not sure what what's going to entice users to try this versus one of the many of the stable games that you've brought to us like pegaxi or zed yeah i don't know it's pretty ridiculous like it doesn't take itself seriously and it comes down to getting the game to think of the yeah. game mechanic right and people play it and it's fun you know what like this time last year, Dogecoin was pumping. Like, okay, like dog coins pump. Like, why not? Putting out their time yet. Maybe it is time. Have their time, right? Based. 
game. I had a dad pun. You get a dad pun. Yeah, we each got one. Cool. All righty. Moving into our theme. All right. Yeah, our theme here. What do you got here, George? We got NFTs are not anonymous. It is curious that everybody seems to think NFTs and crypto is so anonymous. That is not the case at all. <laughs> it's aggressively true and aggressively misunderstood. And how do I make the claim that it's misunderstood? One, because there's so many people that end up making their like profile a, a punk or a board ape and be like, oh no, this is me. I don't want to show my real identity. Like it would take an actual reporter, probably a lunch break to find you. And what's more, we see ridiculous things like the uh, Ivanka Trump NFT getting bought by her own wallet and being like, no, I was bought for somebody else. Like, no, it's sitting there. But like, you see it. There's this assumption, I feel, that because crypto in the past was a bunch of hashed numbers and the Silk Road type of ethos of, oh, no, you can never track anything and find it. It's actually incredibly trackable. And it may be that the public or general perception just sees these like hashes and be like, that's impossible to tell what's going on there. It's, no, that's a unique hash. That's somebody's number. And they just run around with their number doing whatever you want in the wet. It's more trackable than a cookie. You can't escape it. Yeah, absolutely. This is a, it's more like a permanent one that you actually want to carry around with you because it has all of your assets. So when you connect to a site, they can see who connected to their site and see what you have in your wallet, which means you, people know what kind of currency you have, what other NFTs you hold. You can also see, if you want to dig into it, you can see what they've held in the past. It's really not that hard to look at all these things. And generally speaking, I mean, you can often see that there's an ENS, Ethereum name service, a name tied to it. it. may not be their real name, but in many cases it is. Often you'll be able to find a Twitter account. There's so many non-anonymous ways. So even if there's not a, a uh, real name immediately uh, available, it's often there if you look uh, off the surface. But this is it's akin to if everybody could see all of your, all of your stock trades, all of your, everything that you're, I don't know, every game that you're playing, just see this on a public blockchain and be able to pull that up forever. Everybody has this data. This is very different than just Google or Facebook having, it means that when you take an action in web three and sign a contract, anyone can see this. It's really quite different. And there's, yes, it's a long 42 digit hash, but that's just a 42 digit hash and it follows you everywhere. So there's, it's really not anonymous. Recently, we talked about how some six-year-old uh, cases were, were solved and people were arrested. These things don't go away. The blockchain will record this and it is completely not anonymous. It's completely misunderstood. And I guess there is that uh, at the beginning, people thought this and it's a, and a concept that is proliferated, proliferated over time and it's false. So we need to get that idea out there that this is when you take an action in this world, it will not only be known at that time, it will be known forever and will be found out if there is you know, anything not right about it. I have two analogies. One, early days of Facebook when it was just in colleges. I remember joining from my college and I was like, oh, I can post whatever the heck I want here because, oh, it's just my friends being connected. I had no concept of what network effects really were what they meant. I had no concept of the Facebook roadmap, which was expand to absolutely everywhere and share absolutely everything about what I had done under a previous sort of social contract, I would say, with the platform. In the same way that maybe certainly in the early days of NFTs, oh yeah, you, it was hard to use a hash to find somebody. But over time, because of network 
effects because of triangulation and the ability for us to use some of these tools. Like there is a reason why some of those scammers have been caught now because tools are getting more sophisticated and the ability to de-anonymize those hashes is becoming uh, really readily available. Another metaphor, I'll hold on that. Thoughts. Do you agree? Is that app? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. There's, there's a lot, there are a lot more people looking into this that are working on tracking these things that are actually keeping off chain databases of who these, who some of the more prominent wallets are. It's even hard to, you know, it's becoming hard to even, you know, think that you could move money around, even if you were able to, to somehow get a hack in there. And once you, if you have a sizable amount, People are going to be able to track that forever. Most of, the, I think all of the exchanges uh, require some sort of uh, KYC element where know your customer. So they, you've got to register uh, your real name. So when it comes out, when it comes up out of crypto and into real world currency, someone's still got that. That isn't necessarily public, but up until that point, anyone can see it. And after that, it means that a, a company that reports to the SEC can see it. There's not a lot of privacy here at all. There are more companies working on privacy solutions for various layer twos. I don't know enough about those to understand how that's going to completely solve the anonymization issue. Yeah. I have seen a lot of these sort of privacy against privacy platforms come out there and it will come. The pendulum always swings back and forth, but right now it's really aggressive swing toward everything you do is very public, very findable and quickly accessible. And the other metaphor I have is to your point about the, can I see all of your assets? If somebody knows your address, your sort of IRL address, your house or your apartment, they can look up certainly where you are, where you live, the average zip code income. They can look up if you had bought it you can find the housing record of that. Or they can find your information that way, but they it stops there. But there is information associated with that address that there's a reason why some people are like, yeah, I don't want to share that very readily. But it goes even beyond that because then you could say, yeah, I could see all of your crypto holdings. Now, that is and isn't true. I will say if you looked at either one of our wallets, for example, you would certainly see a stupid amount of horses and an amazing amount of art on your side. But there's also a lot of stuff I have randomly staked places. Like I have just skittered about because I didn't want to put everything into my main wallet. And you'd have to know where to go to unlock. And you don't see staked in your wallet because you technically put it somewhere and it promised on a contract that it'll come back to you in one piece. Yeah, that's a good point. And I've actually heard of heard of someone that was hacked while had while they had something staked. And the hacker had actually written a contract so that when they unstaked the token, it would immediately go back to the hacker, but they wrote something they hired someone to write some sort of script so that that couldn't happen. But that's an interesting thing. So if you use that wallet and then either lose access or someone else gains access to that wallet, they can access those state tokens. They may not know where you have state tokens and those tokens could be currency or NFTs. But Andrew, I'm like a squirrel. I'm like an internet squirrel. So where I still <laughs> look at, yeah, that is a good point. I remember we've uh, hidden things, but you could see at least where you've sent various, various NFTs or various tokens. You'd have to somehow filter out the ones that are just valid transfers to another wallet from those ones that are just being staked somewhere. So you'd have to know that the wallet is a staking wallet versus someone else's personal wallet. So yeah, that does make it a little bit harder to track everything. And as we've talked about, almost everybody in crypto has at least a couple wallets, um, if not three, four or more. And so I, I, 
it's a little harder to, to track everything. I would say there are ways that you would be able to see, see maybe related wallets. If you see that there's maybe free, free NFTs being passed between the two, or just a lot of tra uh, transactions between yeah. the two wallets, you could certainly link those in that way. And there are tools, we've mentioned some tools out there. Tornado Cash is one that helps to anonymize transactions. And I would say that's really best if you just want to anonymize it for your own, for your own sake on the web, it's still going to get back to you in terms of any kind of. Can you tornado like, cash an NFT? You could set up a new wallet and then just buy the NFT with that new wallet that is essentially not tracked to you. In this case, you maybe would send one ETH into the, into tornado cash. At some point you take it out to another wallet that never is that from directly from uh, tornado cash. So it never is tied to your original wallet. So there's the hundreds or thousands of these transactions going in and out, as long as it's a small amount, but then um, buy that NFT. You, well, if you buy it from yourself, you're going to, you're going to have that tied to you <laughs> yeah. in some way. I guess someone could just think it's a, yeah, I guess someone could just think it's a, a, a distinct buyer. Although if they hold just one NFT and have made one purchase, it's probably a pretty I mean, that to me would be a good sign. That's a, a related wallet. It's so that you, I mean, could do things if you just wanted to be able to, to start a new wallet and not have people necessarily track it. At the end of the day, you're still taking it out, and I, it's not good for trying to avoid any taxes or anything like that. Definitely not saying that, and would strongly advise against trying to use it for that. It would really just be for the uh, the person. People know that it's you or not, and I could see people wanting that sort of anonymous activity not everybody wants to to go on crypto twitter and brag about their nft purchases there are a lot of people that really don't like to talk about what they're purchasing or to have people know what they're purchasing so i could see that there are people that want that just for that reason yeah, it's a good warning i feel like there there are some percent of people being like oh there's no way the government can tell that's my wallet and you're like oh boy you're wrong with that. yeah do not like, just because they have pounds yeah don't mean it not coming Absolutely. Like we said, that, that case from six years ago, just imagine the tools that'll be available in another six years. And guess what? They'll make the statute of limitations as far as they feel. Yeah, that'll change if necessary. Don't worry. Uh, there's always a way. All right, Andrew. Thanks. I think we've really bounced it around a good amount. Thanks for sharing. See you out there. All right. Bye, George. This has been an episode of the AAA NFT podcast, all about affordable NFTs. The episode notes and resources may be found at 3ANFT.com in our show notes. Again, 3ANFT.com. And that reminder, don't bet what you can't afford to lose. Remember, we are not financial advisors and nothing in this podcast should be taken as investment advice. Thanks for joining us. I hope you learned something.